welcome to episode 17. Episode 17. We're still really poorly, I'm afraid. So. Yes, you know, notice we didn't hit that note because we normally hit notes. Exactly. That's because we're poorly. Yeah. So, so ex- anyone says any different, I'll fight them. Yeah, excuse all the croaking. Today we're going to talk about Jin's fascinating relationship with food. Also, we wanted to find out how bartenders cut through all the noise with all the gins on the market. How did they find the best gins for their consumers? Yeah. So to find out, Matt went to Liverpool to speak to the guys at Fezziwig's bar. Yeah, a delightful bar it is too, in yeah. an old prison. Yeah, used to be a prison. Yeah. It's absolutely gorgeous and it's got a beautiful enclosed gin yard there as well. Lovely guys. So Matt asked them all about how they identify their favourite gins. We also learned a few things about the history of their bar, its association with Dickens, and got some recommendations from them as well on some top gins. Yes, and we had a good old laugh while we did it. Yeah. And we're also going to try out some gin-flavoured confectionery today as well. Yes, some delightful chocolates. Yep, and some marshmallows. So that's all coming up on today's show. Yeah, it sounds like we just had a good laugh and we've recorded for everyone else to listen to. It was fun. Yes, we had a good episode. Yeah. So, and of course, all the latest gin news coming up as well. So let's crack on with episode 17. link between gin and food so much of a link is that is it like certain meals you know how you have wines and certain gins with food do you mean like pairings yes yes there certainly is my word yeah you know people don't often think about gin when they think about pairing alcohol with food but it absolutely can be done and we're going to talk about that today good slap yeah so this episode is all about Jin's relationship with food with a little bit of science and a little bit of history thrown in along the way. Mm-hmm. Basically school and the dinner break. Yeah. One one half of a school day and the dinner break. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, according to the BBC Good Food Guide, and I quote, gin is pointless as a cooking ingredient as its flavours quickly disappear when heated. So today I'm going to challenge that statement. Yeah, nonsense. I've I've watched MasterChef once and they did this thing called gin foam. Oh. It looked like cuckoo spit. <laughs> did it, yeah. Yeah, but it was on the side of a plate. It was one of those fancy dancey things that people do, you know, like... And um, do you remember what the dish was that it went with? A lamb thing. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I've noticed that lamb comes up quite a lot when looking at gin and its relationship with food, as, as does fish. Um, mm. But we'll get on to that. Let's start, quite literally, with an aperitif. A nice aperitif. Like a vampire. Oh! What? Nice aperitif. <laughs> that was both terrible and wonderful at the what? same time. You must have heard that. <laughs> That's the Italian vampire. That's a nice aperitif. Oh no! It's a wonderful joke. Come on. <laughs> okay, so let us start with the nice aperitif. <laughs> oh, it's a bit racist. <laughs> Sounded better when I added it <laughs> So gin is a popular aperitif mm-hmm. because it's nice and dry, it's got herbal qualities, mm-hmm. and those two factors are what makes a good aperitif. You don't want it to be overly sweet, you don't want your aperitif to be too heavy, you want it to be quite crisp, get the appetite going, but also herbs have long been associated with aperitifs. Mm-hmm. as they have with gin. So the two marry together very, very well. So an aperitif is... An aperitif is an alcoholic drink that you take before your meal to stimulate your appetite. Oh, yes. Cool. And the concept of taking these herbal potions uh, to stimulate the appetite has been around since the 5th century, no less. I mean, pissheads will do any... Re- <laughs> give any reason. I'll tell you what we should do, what... A before-meal drink. (laughs) That's what we should do. So one Greek theologian, who was also a staunch abstainer of all things pleasurable... He He sounds like a right hoot. He was a right laugh. Um, His name was Diadochus of Fotiki. I'll give you the (laughs) diabet. 
And I, he says, and I quote, People who wish to discipline the sexual organs should avoid drinking those artificial concoctions which are called aperitifs, presumably because they open a way to the stomach for the vast meal which is to follow. Why is he talking about his bits and bobs? I know, I don't know how he's managed to make this sexual. I don't know what they did back in the 5th century during well, that's dinner. That's the people, it's people, oh, I'm not into pleasure. It's the ones where you open the door and they're like, and they're flagellating themselves with a bloody <laughs> sock full of nettles. Yeah, exactly. I bet, uh, yeah, I bet old Diodocus was... Uh... He sounds like a crop dinosaur as well. <laughs> he does, doesn't he? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a Diodocus. <laughs> What does he eat? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing he likes. Soil. <laughs> Blandables. <laughs> but the concept of aperitifs really took off in the 19th century in Europe and across the Atlantic at the beginning of the 20th century. So in the States where people started taking happy hour alcoholic beverages before their evening meal. So, and then in Latin America as well, aperitifs became strongly associated with tapas and remain so to this day. That would be, is it tequila? It it probably would be tequila, Uh. I I would imagine. I'm I'm not sure how uh, prevalent gin is um, in kind of Latin American cooking. Probably not very. Or Latin culture at all. Yeah, I mean... I'm not sure if gin's a popular one, because I think uh, tequila's the spirit of choice, isn't it? I don't know if that's uh, that's uh, stereotyping just from what I've seen on uh, films and stuff, but I assume tequila's more popular than uh, gin. Yeah, I don't think gin has a huge cultural association with Latin America. No. Um, in the Caribbean, it's rum, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so... And bringing it back to gin, juniper and other botanicals often associated with gin have long been used by doctors to cure stomach ailments. Mm-hmm. So that might explain why gin and other herbal alcoholic drinks are often preferred as aperitifs. But the question is, do they actually work? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Do you ever have a little... I notice you never drink with a meal. I don't like drinking like all the food. No. Uh, if I'm having a drink with me, don't know, I need so, I need it. I have it as a functional thing. Okay, yeah. So, like, if I've eaten too fast and it's too hot and it's burned my mouth, I use it to cool my mouth so down. So you wouldn't want to take a huge slug of an alcoholic drink? No, you don't want to, you don't want to be down in shots every time no. you've had too much of a... <laughs> if you get a hot chip. <laughs> no, and I wouldn't really drink gin necessarily with a meal. I'd probably drink wine. I mean, you yeah, you definitely drink wine. I've seen it happen. But I have occasionally had the odd aperitif. Mm. Especially if you're not feeling massively hungry and a big dinner's on the way. Something that's quite acidic and bitter. And I don't really... I've never really understood why. I try my best not to drink on an empty stomach as well. And aperitif yeah. is basically the absolute antithesis of not drinking on yes, an empty stomach. Yes, it is indeed, yeah. So... I've looked into this, and a 2015 study by William J.A. Eiler et al. looked at the brain response to food aromas following the taking of an aperitif. They also looked at how much the subjects ate um, after they'd drunk alcohol versus um, after they'd been issued with a placebo. So their hypothesis was that the greater food consumption may indeed result from alcohol drinking due to increased activity in the parts of the brain that control reward and feeding behaviour. So they did indeed find that subjects who consumed alcohol showed a more positive response to food aromas and that food consumption was greater than in the control group. Now, one thing they found that was quite surprising is that alcohol actually decreased the level of ghrelin in the drinker's system. And ghrelin is an appetite-stimulating hormone. I may well have pronounced that incorrectly. But it's basically the hormone that makes us hungry. Mm. So what they found was that when, when the subjects had consumed alcohol, the level of ghrelin went down, which means that it should technically have suppressed their appetite. But the appetite went up. Mm. That's odd. It does explain kebabs, though. Well, that people literally just eat anything and more when they're a bit drunk. Yeah, but why would that happen if your appetite hormones are going down? Cause four. Yeah. Well, well, they did actually look into this, and they found that what was going on was that the alcohol was affecting the way the hypothalamus mm-hmm. mediates the interplay of alcohol and responses to food cues. So in short, alcohol basically just messes around with your brain's control centres, particularly those that control um, responses to food. So it's true. Mm-hmm. I always thought aperitifs were a bit of a myth. 
But let's talk about gin specifically as an aperitif. So we know that alcohol alone works from this study, but could gin's botanicals really play a part in stimulating the appetite? Yes. Yes, is the answer. So gentian root, which is commonly used in gin production, that's been commonly used as a herbal remedy for antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory effects. But one component in particular, which is called... Gentiopricoside. Gentiopricoside. Yeah. It's a great word. Yeah. Has been shown to protect the liver and promote gastric acid secretion. Black pepper, coriander and fennel, which are also common gin botanicals, also have been found to stimulate the appetite. Pepper makes a hole. Hmm? Odd, isn't it? Yeah. Odd how the body works and reacts to things. Isn't it? Hmm. So... Those are the botanicals in gin that make you a bit peckish. Yeah, and then combine that with the alcohol, and all in all, you've got a recipe for a healthy appetite. So it just makes you hungry and hungry and hungry. Mm. That's what I meant by the kebabs. Yeah. Yeah. Makes you hungry and hungry and hungry if you drink, and then you'll literally eat anything, and kebabs are literally anything. Anything. Yeah. 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 I've never had one. I The very idea... Of getting the meat that's shaved off that chunk yeah. of meat that revolves slowly in, in, a, in a tepid heat yeah. for the entire day yeah. makes me want to gip. Yeah, prevented only from decaying from the vast amount of salt yeah. that are in it. <laughs> I mean, if you enjoy it and that's your thing, eh, you, you knock yourself out. But, yes. So we've done the aperitif. Mm-hmm. Shall we move on to the main course? Shall we? Yes. So is gin really a no-no in cooking, as the BBC Good Food Guide says? BBC Good Stupid Guide. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Ooh, take that burn, burn. BBC. But so, BBC, seriously, if you want to uh, fund this programme, <laughs> absolutely delightful. We'd be, uh, we'd be interested in talks. So grain alcohol is indeed a fantastic cooking ingredient. Mm-hmm. According to good authority, the chef and food and drink author Oliver Said... Who is he when he's at home? He's written loads of books on spirits and uh, on food. And yeah, he's a, he's a super authority on the subject. So he says adding grain spirit to a dish adds a whole new dimension to the flavour profile. A little touch of acidity, mm-hmm. a nice warmth and sweetness all come together to completely change the accent of the food. So if you pour a double shot of vodka or gin into a hot pan and watch it simmer, what you'll notice is that it transforms into this tiny brown droplet in the middle of the pan as it reduces. And that brown colour comes from all the caramelised sugars in it. And small as that droplet is, it can completely change the end product of the dish. So using vodka will give you that sweetness, but gin will add a whole new element. So it almost gives it a kind of saffrony or rose-like flavour, according to Saeed. So what you want to do, though, is to avoid overpowering the dish. So if you're cooking with gin, use it sparingly, particularly if it's quite a strongly botanical gin. Yeah. Because it it will end up... uh, Who's cooking with good gin? Get some cheap gin. Well, you could get cheap gin, but you'd lose all that kind of aroma that kind of botanical aroma and mm. you if you if you're going to cook with cheap cheap gin really you might as well cook with vo- with vodka yeah because if you don't want that extra botanical edge then just slap a bit of vodka in don't waste good gin a dash of gin can also work really well when used to finish off a pasta dish so one ca- mm, one californian pasta chef called kim levin absolutely swears by it he says it binds the flavors together it'll take the edge off the harsher flavors and then highlight the softer flavors within it um in the sauce or with the pasta itself actually just toss it into the pasta. depends if you stirred the sauce in but if you stirred the sauce in dash of gin stir it in ready to serve really that's crazy yeah so savory dishes give it a go I think we definitely will. Yes, I think so. And of course, gin lends itself extremely well to dessert. So it can add a sweet and tangy herbal quality to uh, sauces Mm -hmm. and preserves, frozen dishes. And the only thing I would say is that when you're using it for frozen dishes, remember that alcohol has a lower freezing point than water. So if you're making some kind of ice pop or sorbet... um, An iced cream, Or an iced cream. Yeah, don't use too much gin because if you do, then the alcohol will not freeze and you'll Mm. get a mushy dish. 
And gin can make for really delicious icing on cakes and pastries. Yes, we we had and tried uh, gin and lemon sauce. From yes, Marks and for Spencer's. ice cream, which was absolutely delicious. That was very tasty, yeah, that was very tasty. Then we tried gin gummies as well. Yes, we did yes, try gin gummies. They were just lemon, but yes. But they nice. were really nice. Yeah, they were all yeah. tasty as but they weren't gin. No, often I think when people make mass produced gin flavoured gin and citrus flavoured sauces and desserts I think it's often a mistake using citrus because the citrus will always win the day it's, it's just lemon sauce exactly lemon sauce that M&S one was probably the closest I've come to finding one that um, is quite ginny yeah yeah so also you can add tonic to icing yes and that that apparently makes it taste quite like sherbet Yes, like give you like a, a pop and candy type thing. Yeah, like a, a like fizz. with the fizz. fizz right. And then also the the sharpness of the quinine gives it mm. that that uh, that extra bitterness. So here's a question: Can gin infused dishes actually get you drunk? I mean, anything if you put enough alcohol in, really. If you put enough in, yeah. Because we know that alcohol has a lower evaporation point than water mm-hmm. so it's very very easy to yeah if, you, if, you, if you're letting something easy. simmer if you're letting something simmer it's gonna it's gonna disappear isn't it yeah but so i looked into this mm-hmm. and there's a study Ooh. yeah Hello. science bit it's amazing what people what studies people do there's there's like a study for everything mm-hmm. i genuinely because i can't be bothered to do all these no. experiments and the, the problem with find the, the great thing about finding studies is is that they're really reliable the awful thing about finding studies is that they're written in such a dry academic way. Yeah. So that that. Uh, my brother does some of them. I've read, I've read some of his, and he's he used to sit us down and go, "Wait, have a listen to this." And he's a biologist, and oh, it like he was like, "Oh, it's about the attack pattern of bees or something." I was like, "Oh, well, this will be fascinating." Oh, it's not. No, a study can rip the intrigue out of any subject. Yeah. So would you like? A, would you like? A, would you like a study about puppies and ice cream? No, don't want it ruined. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the study was conducted by the University of Idaho, Washington State University, and the U.S. Department for Agriculture. Three people at once to the yep. same study. Yep. <laughs> to see if you can get pissed off at gin food. Basically. Wow. Well, the actual the name of the study was the alcohol retention rate of various cooking methods. So. To sum it up, if you stir yes. an alcoholic drink, yeah, yeah. so if you stir an alcoholic drink into a dish and simmer or bake it, you're probably going to lose around five to ten percent of the alcohol for every half hour of cooking time. Mm. Which which kind of means that an alcoholic dish that's been baked or simmered for a couple of hours is going to retain about ten percent of the amount of alcohol that you've put in. So if you put a shot of gin in, you're going to be drinking. A tenth of a shot of gin if you eat the whole dish. So, but if you like do that, like it's still not legal for kids to eat it. Is it not? No, because I think liqueur chocolates. You've got to be sixteen. To buy liqueur chocolates. I am pretty sure you've got to be. Wow. Over. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do it. You look it up while I explain the rest. Of, the rest of this. So, where other cooking methods are used, there may be more alcohol in your dish than you think. Alcohol added to boiling liquid and then removed from the heat almost immediately retained 85% of the alcohol content. Mm-hmm. So most of it. Alcohol flamed retained 75% of its alcohol content. That's actually more than if no heat is applied at all and the dish is merely stored overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, that retains 70% of the alcohol. So flambéing, actually you're only burning off about 25% of the booze. Really? Which basically means if you ate enough crepe Suzettes, you could probably get a little bit pissed. Get a little bit hammered. Yeah. Speaking of the flambe method, actually, before I move on, looks like you've got an answer there. You're waving a finger. I do have an answer. Before 2015, it was illegal for liqueur confectionery containing up to 200 millilitres of alcohol per kilogram of chocolate to be sold to shoppers aged under 16. However, the government recently introduced new laws scrapping this age restriction. Good. In a bit of tattle red tip. Good. What a load of nonsense. Yeah. Mm-mm. There you go. Oh, God, there's rabbit holes of everything down there on the, on the internet. There. Yeah. What what products have age restrictions? I need more now. I know. Well, I'll check later. Okay. 
let's get this podcast done for okay. people rather than fall down rabbit holes. <laughs> okay, I am about to fall down a bit of a rabbit hole though because I'm going to go slightly off the topic of gin. Um, because speaking of the flambe method and crepe Suzette, it gives me an excuse just to delve a little bit into the history books. You know I love to do that. You do. Um, so apparently flambe, which is literally French for flamed, is a cooking method that came about accidentally. Out of all the cooking methods, I yeah. can see that that one could be an accident <laughs> yeah. at some point. Exactly. So according to urban legend, it all started in 1895 when a wide-eyed 14-year-old assistant waiter named Henri Charpentier was pre- preparing a dish at Monte Carlo's Café de Paris. Mm. He was nervously making a dessert for the Prince of Wales. God, imagine nervously making a jelly. Yeah, I know. Never stop moving. I know. <laughs> 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 So, um, yeah, he was making this for the Prince of Wales, who was future King Edward VII Mm -hmm. of the United Kingdom. And among the Prince's guests was a beautiful French girl named Suzette. Now, in his autobiography, Charpentier says, It was quite literally by accident, as I worked in front of of a chafing dish, that the cordials caught fire. I thought it was ruined. The prince and his friends were waiting. How could I begin all over? I tasted it. It was, I thought, the most delicious medley of sweet flavours I have ever tasted. That accident of the flame was precisely what was needed to bring all those various instruments into one harmony of taste. So the prince ate the pancakes and then started spooning up the syrup uh, like a delicious soup. And so the pancake was named after the prince's guest, Suzette. The uh, Charpentier goes on to say, Thus was born and baptised this confection, one taste of which I really believe would reform a cannibal into a civilised gentleman. Oh, good. Yes. (laughs) The next day I received a present from the prince, a jewelled ring, a Panama hat and a cane. (laughs) What a bizarre collection. I know. (laughs) Does he hold any kind of pension for such things? Can I just have the money? I, how much was this ring worth? Could I just get a voucher? Uh, That'll be fine. So, aperitif done, main course done. What about le dessert? Well, we've sort of done dessert. Crepes is out. Crepes is out. Yeah. Okay, what now? After I mean, crepes, crepes is out didn't really relate that closely to gin, but you know, we did gin. Yeah, we're we'll clever like that. Uh, now let's go back to your question earlier which was about pairings Mm -hmm. you know when we think of pairings with alcohol with food we think of wine Mm -hmm. we very rarely think of what kind of gin or what kind of spirit to pair Mm -hmm. with our foods the only one I know really is like that because I've just come back from Switzerland to like brag but when I was in Switzerland they've got like the beluga caviar and vodka oh is that right it was beluga vodka right Interesting. That rich Russian people buy. Mm. It's got flakes of gold in. Has it? No reason. Probably rare fish eggs. Uh, it's just like, what can we have that's so affluent no one else can have? Yeah. Give us that because we're so rich, we're bored of spending yeah. money. Yeah, just take the money. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you're going to serve anything that's kind of deep fried or a bit stodgy, gin is the perfect accompaniment. Hmm. So the flavour's fresh, we've talked about the fact that the herbs are good for digestion, the botanicals, and if you're serving it with tonic, that bitter quinine is the kind of ideal counterbalance to the rich, sort of fatty flavours. Ooh, because I used to like kind of limeade with fish and chips. Yeah, it kind of adds that. Mm. Wait, you have lemon over a fish, don't you? And you have lemon over a fish, absolutely. So I had a look at matchingfoodandwine.com, which is mainly about matching food and wine. Is that for real? Is yeah, that an actual yeah. website? Yes, it is a very good one as well. Humans are lazy, aren't they? <laughs> so they gave some examples of foods that go really well with gins. So the first one they suggest is pate, which I... Good The idea of it makes me feel unwell. Obviously I'm vegetarian and only pate, but even if I wasn't, no. I just don't think it would be for me. Yeah. Um, now pate is often seasoned with juniper berries. Is that for real? Yes, so it makes sense that juniper forward gins would work really well with that. Mm-hmm. So let us come up with our own specific gins then to pair with each of these dishes. Okay, I will think. A nice juniper forward gin. 
a tankeria. Okay, tankeria. It's juniper in it. I cannot picture the flavour of tankeria in my brain right now. <gasps> Hold your breath. Tangerine. Oh, yeah, I'm getting a little there bit you go. <laughs> um, Just for the record, neither of us are drinking right now. Matt's got a can of ting, and I've got a cup of tea, mainly because... Um, it is late. It's late. Matt's just been at work, and I'm really sick, thanks to old Mr Petri Dish sitting across the table from me here. Yeah, he's just sat next to me there, stupid <laughs> Mr Petri Dish. Don't know why we invite him over. I know, never again. Uh, okay, yeah. So, pate, let's go with the tanqueray. Cucumber sandwiches. So, they, they've they already suggested one for us here. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder <laughs> what that could be. Yeah. Hendrix. Rhubarb and ginger Whitley Neal. Actually, that would go really well. Do you think? Yeah, with cucumber sandwiches. I suppose it suggests Hendrix, does or, it? Oh, it does suggest Hendrix. Or a Whitney, Whitley Neal nettle gin. Ooh, that's a good gin. With a cucumber sandwich. Yes. Okay. Cucumber sandwiches was kind of the anomaly in this list because it's not too stodgy. I think it was just because of the um, the cucumber. Mm-hmm. Prawn toasts and vegetable spring rolls. Um, an Orphea. Yes, that could work. Or... A Durham or sea glass. Sea glass. Yeah. Because that was so spice. I was going to suggest a drum shambo. Really? Because it's got the Chinese gunpowder tea in it. Yes, so it has. Yes. But the next up is Indian street snacks. There you go then. So let's put the Ophir. Oh, yeah, we'll put the Ophir uh, in there. And the sea glass gin with the Indian street snacks. And the Durham. Durham's quite And spicy. the Durham gin, yeah. So there you go, Indian, Indian street snack with a glass of Whitley Bay gin. Yes, try that. Finally, the author says gin goes really well with fish and chips. Mm, I'd say that. Yeah. Get a citrusy one. The Malfi's. Malfi's lemon. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and sorry, there's another one. Um, finally, strong cheeses. So Strong cheeses go best with the bin. <laughs> well, the author actually suggests a Dutch Geneva would work particularly well. So just like a whiskey, really. Mm, or, um, or an old Tom, maybe. Yeah, or an old Tom, yeah. Um, or she suggests oh. a slightly earthy gin, like a bathtub or a Plymouth. The earthy gin, I mean, that Herno, old Tom. Oh, a Herno Old Tom, yeah, with some cheese. Oh, mm. or alternatively with the kind of fresher cheeses, like a nice fresh goat's cheese. Um, she suggests a citrusy G&T, so maybe Six Bells. Oh, Six Bells, yeah. yes. Yeah. It's a very citrusy one, isn't it? Or a Tanqueray Sevilla. A Tanqueray Sevilla <laughs> with a ginger beer and a ginger loaf. Oh, yes. A stodgy ginger cake. Yeah, a nice heavy, sugary, molasses Okay, I'm going to look over there. What, what, what we've, got? we've got a blue bottle. We've got a Heppel. We've got a delightful bo- new bottle of Heppel, did you? Oh, yeah. We'll, we're going to have to save that for next week's show because yes. we're too ill to drink it. But thank you, Heppel, for bringing us a light. Yes, a nice... oh, don't worry. There will, be a, there will be a Heppel feature. We're going to the distillery soon. Yes, we are, yeah. Okay, there was a lot more that I wanted to talk about in this episode, including gin as a cooking fuel. And gin made from weird foodstuffs. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to be too long yep. if we do that. Two episodes on food. Deal done. All right, we'll do a part two. Banged. Yeah. And before both both our voices give out, that wraps that up. Well, um, I'm convinced that gin and food are a match made in yep. heaven. Yeah, I think we can safely say that gin can be used as a cooking ingredient. Well done, gin. It can be paired perfectly with foods, just like wine can. And it does work as an aperitif. And it can get you drunk if you eat lots and lots of gin-soaked food. Proven. Yes. Okay. Well, crack on with the show. Gin news. Headlines today. Awfully good or hard to stomach. Scotland's smallest pub creates haggis gin. Winge and Neighbours Garden Shed Distillery draws complaints from next door. And of all the gin joints in all the world, you've got to vote for this one. The hunt is on for the best gin bar in the world. Now, awfully good or hard to stomach. Scotland's smallest pub run by Simon and Debbie Rutherford. I think it's called Rutherford's. Okay. Have created a haggis flavoured gin for Burns Night. Gonna be honest, that sounds absolutely disgusting. The whole idea of haggis does literally turn my stomach. I'm not on board with this. No, well, you're a vegetarian, it doesn't sound good at all. No. Obviously. 
to you. Apt for a food-related show, though. So what's... How? What? Why? They they started making their own gin in 2017, apparently. Uh, These two. In the smallest... What claims to be the smallest pub in Scotland. Wow. Uh, And uh, Debbie said, the idea was always to have really unusual drinks. We give people an experience when they come in. We've got our own gin over a year ago, and I have been experimenting. I suggested Palmer Violet and said it's like Marmite. After a quick internet search, the only reference they could find at Haggis Gin was an April Fool's joke. So they went out and started trying the recipe. You can't put, like, meat-flavoured gin. How oh, do you even manage God. that? God. Yeah, how do you infuse the meat flavours? Maybe they just use the herbs. That... The spice, all the spices and experiment. Yeah. The first time was apparently disgusting. There's a <laughs> shocker. Mm. There was too much nutmeg. Yeah, I imagine the nutmeg was the problem there. <laughs> yeah. But after pressing on, they discovered it could make taste good after all. It's more like a spice gin. It's actually really nice with iron brew. She suggested serving the gin with iron brew rather than nutritional gin and tonic. Iron brew has a bit of spice to it. Works well. We're happy with the flavour. To launch the gin, the publicans invited Scots performer Jesse Rear, who grew up in the town and attended Kelso High School, to address the haggis after Burns Night. So that, that's what they invented it for, to have it served on Burns Night. All for Burns Night. All for good old Scottish traditions. Yeah. Just can't wrap my head around the haggis idea. Oh, mm. It all sounds absolutely horrendous to yeah. me. But, uh, well, saying that like, I tried the black tomato gin. Delicious. That's true, but, you know. It's still not meat. No. I don't want a sausage gin coming out anytime soon. <laughs> Pop chop gin? No, thank you. No. Silliness. Now then, whinging neighbours. Now, there's a garden shed distillery opened in Birmingham. Catherine Dean. It's the sin of the gin. And she's just started off a little business. Just a tiny little business. All inspired by a 19th century recipe that was Ooh. handed down. It's in memory of our dad Aww. who handed down the recipe. And apparently it's, it, it was a gin recipe to combat malaria in India. Oh, wow. In, in the 19th century. And she's won a battle because uh, residents have raised objections. Of course they have, because people hate other people having fun. <laughs> what were the objections? I mean, I can't imagine a little distillery makes much noise. No, not really. Or pollution. Well, they told the Birmingham City Council that the business could potentially attract disorder, in particular criminals who may access neighbouring properties to target the shed. Oh, wow, OK. It's, what, someone's got a trampoline that's worth a bit of money in the yeah. garden that that's going to... Or a nice car parked in the driveway. Exactly. Oh, for goodness sake. Oh. I say good on you. Yeah. What's her name? Catherine Dean. Good on you, Catherine. Yeah. Congratulations. Sin of the gin. Uh, we highly recommend you buy a bottle. <laughs> Next door neighbour said, you can't say an alcohol business won't attract crime. Yes, you can. Having a small business like this next door, although very small, is a great concern. Fellow residents from the Sally Park Property Owners Association, oh, mm. curtain twitches, also raised objections about potential deliveries. Oh, what? Did they never get Iceland online? <laughs> yeah, exactly. God. She had a huge sprig of coriander delivered yeah. the other day. <laughs> they could di- barely get it up the drive. <laughs> Mrs. Dean described the sin of the gin as a tiny artisan operation that had grown out of a hobby. She says, I can well understand the concerns that are being raised, but I suspect that those concerns may be because of the very limited information that was supplied in the application. I hope that when it becomes clear how I intend to run my tiny business and what that business involves, people will see their concerns are misplaced. We hope it absolutely grows into a massive business and you make a gazillion pounds and... Do your father proud. Yes. Yeah. And obviously send us a ball. Yeah. And now to, of all the gin joints in all the world, you've got to vote for this one. It's timely. Apparently, there is a massive vote on to find out what the best gin bar in in the world. In the world. In the world. And I tell you what, there's a lot of them in England. Is there? <laughs> yes, most of them, to be honest. And one of them's right here in Newcastle, Dobson and Parnell. We must pop along there. Ah, oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, one of our very favourites. Forty Saint Paul's Yay. is in there as well, so that doesn't surprise me because Aman is an absolute wizard, the bar manager there. Yes, he knows his stuff, doesn't yeah, he? he yeah, does. very clever. But what have we got? Who have we got? So we've got Forty Saint Paul's in Birmingham. Yeah, let's top the list there. I think it's because got a number first. It's an alphabetical. Oh, okay. Good luck. Good luck. ABV in San Francisco, Atlas in Singapore, Berry Brothers in Rudd Number Three Bar, the Royal Albert Hall. Oh, oh I bet that's cheap. Corner Club in Stockholm, Dobson and Parnell in Newcastle, Gin and Olive in Portsmouth. Greenlight Lab in Denver, Himcock in Oslo, that's hilarious, Iron Stag in Hoxton Square, Shoreditch, of course it's called the Iron Stag in Shoreditch, no one with socks is allowed in. And you have to be wearing a tiny top hat. Uh, Merchant House in London, Sexy Fish in London, Tuka's Landing in Edinburgh, let's say Tuka's, I'll I'll pop in when I'm up there, learn how to pronounce it. 
the distillery in Portobello Road. I'm staying up all night with that one. The gin room in St. Louis, where our friends we messaged our friends from the South City Gin Club. Gin Club, and they were actually in that bar when we messaged yeah, them. Yeah, we said, "Have you guys heard of this bar?" They were like, "Yeah, we're there now." We're actually in there. So we're going to get them on the line hopefully next week and uh, find out a bit more about that one. Yeah, uh, the Hyde Bar in London. <laughs> that would be great if you just got to go. Uh, I love a gin tonic. Where are you? <laughs> yeah, it's like a new hipster yeah, thing. No. The waiter has to find yeah. you. <laughs> Got to count to 100 and then go and find you with your drink. <laughs> the Oliver Conquest in London and Whitechapel in San Francisco. Well, Lovely. all of them, I mean, we've, I've only ever been to one of them, so we've got we've got some catching up to do on the gin yeah, bars. Yeah, we have, so a bit biased towards 40 St Paul's, good luck guys. Is it a public vote? I think, I just went and click on it now to see what the questions in that are, and it's closed, so I think it might be down now. Oh, damn, okay, well good luck everyone. Yeah, good luck everyone, yeah, I'm uh, interested to see who the winners are, so we can... Uh, we can go there. Make a television programme on public money, if uh, anyone wants to send us one of these gin bars and we can have a look, see what they're doing. Yeah. Always wanted to go to Colorado. No, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Let's go to Himcock in Oslo. Right. Just so I can giggle childishly outside. Just so outside. you can do your Kenneth Williams yeah. noise. So I, can put, so I can just point it and go... Yeah, That'd exactly. be great. Okay, great stuff. So that was, uh, that was this week's Gin News. Quick section now. Uh, as we're doing gin and food today, we're going to do a very short tasting of a couple of gin-related sweeties. Mm, mm, mm. What do we have? We've got, firstly, we've got the Naked Marshmallow Company. Oh! Sorry. Wow, Kenneth Williams is in the house. No, well, I've just been uh, in the very dressing room tonight where Sid James was his final show and he died on stage that I was on tonight. No. Yes. Is that true? So no, no, my, he had a heart attack on stage and uh, dropped down on the stage and everyone was like carrying on around him and one of them was ad-libbing and then when he didn't respond, uh, she ran off and went, dropped the curtain and said, James died on Sunderland Empire stage. Wow. There you go. You could have been standing on the exact spot where he died he tonight. Could been, he could have been fruiting us up and going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. That's a good. Did you feel something touch your bum at any point a during the evening? ghostly fruity. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yes, the Naked Marshmallow Company, naturally handmade, special edition, naturally delicious, handmade. luxurious, elderflower and London gin marshmallows. I'm sorry, naturally handmade is just ridiculous. Well, let's see. How, let's have a look at these claims. How can it be unnaturally handmade? <laughs> Handcrafted alcoholic marshmallows, eat straight from the box or pair with your favourite tipple or toast to perfection with a gorgeous gooey marshmallow moment. We create gourmet marshmallow in a range of delicious flavours, 100% natural, no artificial colours or flavours, handmade by artisans. Oh god, artisans. (laughs) This word. What is it? It's loaf of bread but it's not in the right shape. Artisan. Yeah. Okay, contains alcohol, 2.5% gin. So that's the first thing. Secondly, we've got from Hotel Chocolat. We don't love that place. We don't love that place. Um, these chocolates are a lovely floral gin with plenty of juniper sealed in dark chocolate. Sealed with a dark chocolate. Yes, that's right. good. They've won the Academy of Chocolate Silver Award 2015. So I'm expecting a lot. Silver. Yeah, but you know. Shameful silver. They've also got 5% gin in them, so a bit stronger, these ones. Hold on to your hats, boys. (laughs) What would you like to try first, a mallow or a chocolate? I'm going to go mallow, because I'm not keen on marshmallows, I'll be honest. No, I'm not keen. I'll just have have the smaller of the two. Now, it's it's green. It looks like a big licorice also. It is green and white, yeah. Have a sniff. Sugar. Yeah, just sugar. I'll have it rip it open. Mmm, nice texture. Another smell. Very fluffy. Salty. Strangely salty. Mmm. No, oh, I'm through the salt. See, marshmallows doesn't do enough for me. That tastes like... It tastes like rose to me. It tastes floral. It tastes like, uh, you know, when you're in the bath and you, and some of the bath gets in your mouth. Yeah, a bit soapy. Yeah. Not for me, that. Are you getting any gin, though? No. Are you? A little bit. Mmm. How? I'll do this for you, listeners. No, do the noise. No, no, no. There it is. Is it? I just—it's—it's it's very, very, very distant in the background. Yeah, not very ginny those, but 
I quite like them. It's one of those things where you're like, oh, I'm not sure about that, and then you have another yeah, you one. Start, I, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm the same with uh, a few few foods on that, where I'm like, no, then you just find yourself needing something to nibble. Yeah. Mm. Because they're a little bit salty, I'd put them in, the, in your hot chocolate. Yeah. But yeah, they don't taste ginny, they don't taste alcohol. You're supposed to pop them in alcohol, did it say? With, pair with your favourite tipple. I'm not sure how you, you just pop, pop a marshmallow in your gin and tonic. Okay, Matt is just sitting there mashing his marshmallow I'm trying to get a scent. Fingers. Trying to get a scent. Well, that sounded full on, didn't it? <laughs> What's Matthew doing? He's mashing his Only marshmallow. Only to you. Sid James uh, possessed us, sorry. I think he has, yeah. Okay, now, now he's rolling it into a ball. Oh, he's it made a ball. It looks like a brain. Okay, so I think Matthew's not sold on the art of flower. No, not a fan. Right. Chocolate, please. Chocolate. Ooh, it looks like a spooky eyeball. Looks like a Pokemon ball. Oh, God, smell that, though. Oh, oh it smells like Christmas. Dark chocolate. Very high cocoa. I've got the, uh, I've got the juniper in the background there as well. Oh, mmm, so taste. Oh my god. Ah, uh, a crunchy. Oh, and now that is total gin. What a wonderful flavour. Mm. Out of all of the. We talked about the gin jellies oh. that we've had, we talked about other mm. gin chocolates, but that is the most ginny mm-hmm. of all of the gin confectionaries I've had. And with dark chocolate, hello. Mm. What are you all about? Oh. And it's got that alcoholic warmth. Mmm. Because that. goes down your throat. I find hotel chocolate a good um, with the flavour because. They did a uh, mulled wine one. Mm. Not mulled wine fan, but obviously with the chocolate. It was a chocolate, so it tasted nice. But they did a mince pie one over Christmas. Oh, no, I've never had, never had anything like it. Absolutely amazing. And that is delicious. Superb. Absolutely wonderful. I wish I could stomach a drink right now. Because mm. I'd love to have a glass of gin with that. Yes, that would be... Oh. Let's keep the rest of these when well, we're drinking. We've got this in a box set. And it had uh, these chocolate puddles in as well. And it had two bottles of the cocoa gin yes and we did a tasting of the cocoa gin in, in series one mm-hmm. you were a bit meh on it oh it was it was fair middle, but it might be nice for one, one, one of them mm. I reckon that might be just the thing to push it over the edge and what we've also got is the Hotel Chocolat bitters bitters yeah and we've got a chocolate tonic in there somewhere right we're keeping these for when we can have that yeah so the verdict in Battle of the uh, oh. Battle of the Gin Foods. We didn't originally call it Battle no, of the Gin Foods, but, but now let's call it Battle of the Battle of the Gin Foods. Gin foods. And it was a round one knockout in spectacular style by the chocolates. Hotel chocolate, gin chocolates. I'm here in Fezziwig's Gin Yard, unusual name, boys. Why would that be? Uh, well, it's part of Furnival's Well, which is which is our, our other bar, which is adjacent to Furnival's Well, um, is named after Charles Dickens's Furnival's Hill, Furnival's Inn, dare I say, where Charles Dickens stayed when he was um, kind of starting out on his career, and Charles Dickens stayed in, Furnival, in, in the Bridewell, yeah. in which the building kind of situated in 1860 when he was researching the uncommercial traveller. So Fernal's Well is actually an old bride. Well, it's an old prison. And so the, the links with Dickens was something we really wanted to play on. Uh, uh, Fezziwig was his old employer, wasn't he? Fezziwig was Mr Scrooge's employer yeah. indeed, kind yeah. of put the antithesis of of Scrooge. He was a great host. Yeah. He was very amiable, amenable yeah. type of thing that we kind of really want the place to be. Weird alive. thing about that, the only reason I do know that is because of Muppet's Christmas Carol. Right. Uh, <laughs> 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 it's a lot of people, a lot of things. <laughs> oh, it's in the singing on a street corner. Cry. <laughs> we were going to call it Kermit, but <laughs> some, some, some sort of. Uh, I'm sure there was some copyright. It, it, indeed, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm sorry about introduce yourself, boys. Uh, what's, what is your name and what part? What do you do for this uh, at Fezziwigs? Uh, my name's Joe Ballinger, I'm currently the head bartender for Fezziwigs. Um, I've previously worked for Danny um, in another of his bars called Berry and Rye, which is more sort of cocktail focused, um, and I've done various work on various cocktail menus, gin and other based throughout the city. <laughs> well, there, gin or nothing. Oh, look at me, I'm a idiot. Forget it, forget it. And yourself? Uh, I'm Dan Murphy, I um, am one of the owners of Fezziwigs and Furnival's. Um, which is part of the Gracious Development Group. So we've got a couple of joints around the city, as Joe said, fairly um, spirit and cocktail-led, all kind of aimed towards a discerning drinking market. 
type of people who kind of understand and like to learn about what they want to drink and, yeah. and drink well. Because there's, there's a gin tour that comes through here, isn't there? Mm. There is, yeah. There's one in town today, yeah. It's called the Gin Journey. It's like a that. national thing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's all in the name. <laughs> they were going to call it Kermit's Journey. But, yeah, so th- they, they do kind of a bit of a whistle-stop tour around the city and they pick a bunch of venues, go in, talk about the venue or make a drink for them, uh, focusing on one particular gin. And then they go around the city. It's quite good for our for the venues. We don't receive any revenue out of it, but it puts us on the radar with a bunch of people. Oh yeah, it's perfect. It's a, it's a great it's a great thing to be involved in. It sounds like yeah, it's, it's doing so, really well. well it's launched in Singapore. I mean, it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like a bad idea either. What you're doing, just wandering about drinking gin. Yeah, it sounds every, like your usual day to be honest. Well, no, no, yeah. like, I don't walk about. Point <laughs> 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 not expending all that energy. <laughs> quite new. It looks. We've it looks, been open. It doesn't look new, does it? It's about 150 years yeah, old. Yeah, but like, it, it, outside looks nice and quick. No, it was, so Fezziwigs, we just recently launched for this summer. Um, we've been open trading in Fernival's well for about 15 months now, 16 yeah. months. Fezziwigs is kind of part of our our plan to just um, use the outdoor space, really. I mean, you know, we've had a summer already, by the sound of things. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was Tuesday, wasn't but it? That was, it was Tuesday. Summer. Yeah, that was um, nice. But, the, yeah. <laughs> but people love drinking gin outdoors, so we kind of, we've got a lovely little yard there, and we just wanted to I was quite keep the space alive. Because yeah. we were trying to we were trying to do this interview outside, and the rain just went, yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, get inside. And I'll tell you what, it's a beautiful venue. Where are we now? It's like, it seems like... Uh, it's an old cell. This um, is cell block number nine, I believe. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, an old, it's an old police station, or an old bridewell, or an old prison, so this is one of the old cells. The building itself, it's absolutely full of history when we're kind of researching it. You know, there's, I mean, quite apart from Dickens, who, as yeah. I say, he spent a night as a, a special constable while he was re- researching the uncommercial traveller. But he, um, but, you know, we've got a kind of folder full of the stories of some of the convicts and some of the people who passed through here. Oh, it's amazing. It, it is. I mean, it's a really, it's a, the type of building that you feel a bit of a pressure to kind of honour. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and... You see, it, it, like, it certainly seems, I mean, I, I imagine those fire exit signs were there. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the speaker was here. Yeah, well. uh, no, speaker. Clear all about all the modern, modern uh, Dickensian uh, hard house. Uh, <laughs> we've, had, we've had guests come in more than once, though, <laughs> who'll sit down at a table in the cell and just go, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is where I was put... Yeah, happened yeah. because it only stopped being a police station in the 50s, 50s or 60s. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. that's excellent yeah, history. Yeah, yeah. Someone coming <laughs> I was locked up here. No, I, was, this is where I'm here. And I had toilets just there. Uh, uh, well, that's one. That's one. Because there is a massive. Obviously, we all know the the gin resurgence is wonderful thing mm-hmm. since uh, 1989. It's done nothing but claim. Uh, and Liverpool's uh, Liverpool's a very big uh, player in this. We've got a uh, turncoat gin, Liverpool gin. Clever yeah. name there. I know. Yeah. Uh, Pink Dog, Ormskirt gin, uh, Darkside gin. That's. I mean, that's just a handful. Formby gin, just a handful of gin from uh, from the Merseyside region. But uh, do, you, do you stock uh, a lot of the local gins? It's very very community based. I think gin. Yeah, there's certainly, there's certainly a lot of loyalty when it comes to guests. I mean, one of the biggest questions that we always have is, do you stop Liverpool Gin, do you stop Turncoat? I yeah. mean, Turncoat's only been around for a year, and in and my opinion, that's the best. Yeah, that's, that's I had the it for the one. first time yeah. yesterday. One of the nicest gins yeah, I've ever had. Lovely. It's really um, well-made stuff. And, and um, already people have got come to recognising that name. There's another new one called the Gin Smiths of Liverpool, which started at the end of last year, which has got this big, beautiful new distillery complex within the centre of town. So yeah, people coming in and asking for those types of gins that's is nice definitely yeah, something yeah. that we have. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing in the northeast as well. Uh, Poetic license and uh, Heppel gin and all that. That's up made up in the northeast. Yeah, I think steampunk. And, yeah, people are just really sort of proud of local economy. I yeah. think in local industry because it's such an international phenomenon. The rise of gin, especially in the last few years. Co- uh, if uh, it's your local city that's got something that's on the national radar, I suppose like, fo- it's like anything like football. I suppose. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. uh, You're still mm-hmm. proud of your team. I mean, yeah. not me so much, Sunderland, but yeah. <laughs> um, but we see. I mean, just to kind of add to that, we see our role as kind of. You know, as, as bartenders and, and, you know, the venue owners, when something explodes like that and an awful lot of stuff comes to the market, it's your job as a salesman to cut through the noise sometimes. And people yeah. always get caught up in branding and stuff like that. And so, you know, we see our back bars as prime real estate. Not everything gets on there just because you made around the corner. Mm. You know, you've got to be well made um, and you've got to have your story must be authentic and real. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just a shiny label and kind of a, an obvious name, so unicorn you know, tears. I mean, that, that example. I oh, just run out. Never, ever, never gonna <laughs> ever live that down. Yeah. He's both working in a gin bar. Ask what's left. Ask what is your favourite gin. 
Um, it changes on a weekly basis, really. I'm quite, I prefer things that are quite classic and quite traditional. Maybe crisp gin. Something crisp, something with a little bit of history behind it as well. I mean, as much as I love all these sort of new wave gins, there's nothing that beats a beefy at 24 or a tanker at 10. A beefy at 24 is a lovely one, and tanker at 10 is always stuff, classic. Stuff that has, stuff that has, I mean, the thing about beefy at 24 especially is that comes from a recipe from sort of 1862, something that's really, really old, but that's just had two extra botanicals sort of, no, three extra botanicals just sort of added to it and lifted to it. I think it was 2008, it was invented by Desmond Payne, their master distiller, yeah. but it's just that little extra bit of nuance that's given to it, and it just elevates it as something that has the gravitas of something that's a brand that's that old and that traditional, yeah. but something that's really new wave and stands up really well as well. Excellent answer. Thanks. Similar <laughs> um, similar to, to Joe, really. I mean, we, I think for me, I'm being slightly older than Joe. I was kind of around at the, you know, the resurgence of gin. I'm one of the kind of main products behind that resurgence, which has kind of been forgotten about. It's Bombay Sapphire. Mm. Now, it's not a ginny gin, you know, with inverted yeah. commas. Uh, but what it did was open the market to from your vodka drinker into your gin drinkers. You yeah. know, it was your light mixable gin. So. You know, I was drinking that for years, thinking, oh, you whack a wedge of lime round the rim of the glass and yeah. you're the coolest guy yeah, in the exactly. world. I used to think Bombay Bottle Sapphire. tonic, bottle <laughs> tonic, by the way, please. I used you know. to think Bombay Sapphire was the height of their uh, distinguished gin drinking, yeah. Oh, for, for years in the pool, it was the blue gin. Yeah. Give us the blue gin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not taking I'm not taking away from Bombay. It's no. beautiful gin. It's no, absolutely. Gin. It's, but it's, open, it's been the gateway, I think. Yeah. It's been the catalyst to where we are now. So, I mean, for me, you know, I've got a lot of time for a, a, a nice, clean Bombay and tonic. However, as Joe said... Especially when it comes to drinking martinis. I mean, um, in, in Berry and Ryan and in Royal Institution, our, our members club, you know, we're very martini focused and that's where we go for Ginny Gins. So, Sipsmith, very uh, VJOP. Yeah. Um, and and though, along those lines, the Beefy to 24 as well. You know, something with a bit of a really kind of solid London dry backbone. Jeopardy yeah. in, your, in your face. And Portobello as well. I mean, I, I think Portobello. Portobello that's Leeds, isn't it? Leeds, indeed it yeah. is, yeah. Is it. Bit of a loaded question, but at least favourite gin. Do you want to go first? Because I'll tell yeah, you what. Yeah, you can just you can you can feel this one, mate. Because yeah. uh, I mean, a lot of the gins that people would consider like low class. I mean, the Audi gins are wonderful. We use them for our uh, infusions. Mm. We get the Audi gin, and a litre of that. You know what? It's not bad at all. It's not bad at oh, all. Oh no, definitely. But I mean, so, like as you said, the people jumping on the bandwagon of uh, making gins. I think I wouldn't want to give. I'm going to be really diplomatic. I wouldn't want to give a specific answer, but what I would say is you have these days, especially speaking as a bartender, someone who creates drinks and who has to, and sort of sees it, sees through the marketing quite easily. You have to wade through quite a lot of rubbish gin (laughs) before you find something really, really good. Um, And then, and people using all different sort of different sciences and things like that, that that coming up with, to, to come up with these different products now. Um, it's very easy. Anybody can do it. I mean, we've got some botanicals in front of us. Um, <laughs> Excellent uh, demonstration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, we've got some botanicals in front of us, and behind the bar here, we've got a still that would cost you about a hundred quid to buy over the internet. Yeah. You could produce some gin um, in three hours' time just by mixing these together. And this yeah. is stuff that we've got from decent brands, yeah. as an example of what. Bit they of lavender use. there. Exactly. Like a bit of lavender, hibiscus, what else we got? Cardamom. Yeah, and of course you've got your juniper berries. Juniper smells so good. So we use, basically use this to educate our guests, so you know, kind of what we try to do to set us apart rather than a kind of vertical drinking, get them in, get them out type of joint that Liverpool's full of. We try to be a bit more experienced, like when people come in, they're really open to suggestion. So yet they might brand call straight away, but the job of our bartenders is to take them on a bit of a journey away from I mean, we don't sell bad gin, but away from the stuff that they might think is yeah, yeah. the type of stuff that they like, yeah, yeah, yeah. because that's what they've been yes, indoctrinated Yes, you enjoy one beer, but if you try that, try this, yeah. Yeah. and uh, they'll, then they'll expand the uh, gin uh, taste buds. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, so, that's sort of the point. Somebody could knock something up. We could knock something up now, mm-hmm. probably before you leave the city tonight, yeah. um, and then we could do something and serve it. It would taste awful, it would, because yeah. we don't have the expertise yeah. or time to actually get something out. And a lot of people, I think, because it's... Um, <laughs> become such a popular thing and because you can make it relatively cheaply oh, yeah. it's a really easy thing to do it's a very very difficult thing to master yeah, exactly. and I... it's people who haven't 
mastered it and you think they can just knock it Of course, I, like, I mean, like, that's, what, that's, why gin, that's why a lot of people start making gin because they're waiting for the whiskey to mature to make the money. So in the meantime... There's all sorts yeah, of predictions I, about I, that yeah, at the yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's hell on at the minute about what is gin and what isn't because there's a lot of people with very, very little juniper in the gin, calling it gin. And uh, Heyman's, I think it's Heyman's, it's having an absolute... Yeah, but there's, hard, there's hardly any laws about it, really. So, um, about... about a bit like a state you... agency and money loaning. <laughs> 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 absolute <laughs> pricks getting involved in it. But, you know, look, you know, a lot of people kind of still have this kind of uh, misconception of London Dry, yeah. you know, like it's, it's being some be, kind of geographical classification. It's got to be juniper-led. Yeah. yeah. And what does that mean, really? Exactly. There's, there's, no, there's no scientific classification. But the, on the flip side, that coin, that kind of breeds innovation as well, you know, so you look at, like, Cognac, for example. Yeah. They're trying to relax the rules around the AOC of Cognac because it stopped innovation. And as soon as the smoking ban came in and people stopped being able to smoke cigars with XOs, yeah. they were on their arse. Yeah. And then, you know, your Scotch whiskies and your bourbons and your rums just kind of stole a march on those guys. So there's there's pros and cons of having, having a, a loose, you know, kind of loosely defined prod spirit category. But, again, that's where we come in and that's where, you know, the type of venues of our nature come in yeah. you've got to educate your consumer you know you've got to protect them but the thing that we we look for as well so i mean you know again i keep going back to this word of kind of guardians of, of, of the experience the consumer experience the guest experience you know with all our producers we always kind of say right okay look if you want to be on the back bar we like the taste of the product we're happy to carry it show us how it's made show us yeah. distillery let's cut through the noise we're not we don't need the blurb on the back of the bottle yeah Tell us, just show us, and even if it is, you know, cold compounded, yeah. just tell us, and at least then we can make our own informed choice. And I think what's kind of, kind of, got my back up a little bit in the past, and you know, you mentioned some of the local producers, is this kind of um, unwillingness really to to be as transparent as maybe they could be, yeah, because they don't trust us to to then still support the product, and um, and that you know, one minute you've got complex organic gin on, on the bottle and the next minute you haven't and it's like well where are you in the first place or yeah. you're all, you know what's the deal there I've got a I'm selling your product for £6.50 now yeah. a single yeah. you know I'm the guy who gets it in the neck like right. so so um, well, that's, that's what now out of all the gins I tried some very unusual gin the other day uh, in Fort St Paul's it was the anti-gin obviously the most unusual gin now but what's the most what's the most unusual gin do you think you've ever had uh, along with that what's, what's the most unusual garnish you've ever used so I mean I I'll start with this one. I, I certainly can't go toe-to-toe with Red Ants, but we carry a gin in, in Berry and Rye that I absolutely love, and it's totally out there, which is Gin Mare. I love Gin Mare. And it's like, it's such an unginny gin, but we use it in our Bloody Marys in our, and in our yeah. Dirty Martinis as well. It's absolutely stunning stuff. You know, um, rosemary, olives and thyme or something. Yeah, like basil, the, the something. first smell you get to the rosemary when you tip it up, you think, yeah. oh, it's so nice. Wonderful, wonderful nice. stuff. So... I mean, just in terms of kind of an unginny gin that we carry, I think that's the one for me that I'd... Yeah, I mean, for me, it's um, it's sort of... It's one step away from gin when you hear about all these wacky hipster liqueurs. Yeah, all oh, the liqueurs. Yeah, but these people are starting I'll... to make in London. Like, um, there was... Um, <clears throat> I, what was it? I can't remember the name of the brand, but it was this liqueur that these guys were making in London. And they found... They, got, they, they were renting this warehouse... And there was something like, I think it was called wild lemongrass, that's what it was called, that they hand-foraged from around this. It had just been left for 50 hand years, and it was just all this stuff. I know, yeah, yes. yeah. How else do you forage things? It was a side. I found a bag of crisps the other day, there was £6.50, and there were from, there was apple crisps, and it was from rescued apples. <laughs> God. I just pictured it going around there, and Kay just going, please take me home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, nah, that's ridiculous. But it's, no, it's, it's things like that um, and the way they're serving those. Um, so again, you, they do it with different tonics, but then they're adding these different botanicals to different tonics that they're making yeah. as well. Really niche stuff. I don't know how they tend to make any money on it. Yeah. But I think if they, when they go into these bars in East London and things, they're trying oh, to do... Oh, it's stupid. No, no, I know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like they've, they've come into Berry and Rye before and they've been in here before as well. And you sort you said, like, yeah, yeah, it's really, really interesting. I think it's brilliant. But I'm, I'm a bartender who does this for a living. I don't quite know how I'm supposed to sell it to, yeah, yeah. to, 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 to a bunch of ladies who fancy a big bowl I, of gin and tonic I, on, a, on a Saturday like, afternoon. Like, is it blue because <laughs> then we'll have it yeah it's a blue can we put seven cock straws in it at once yeah, yeah. but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's things like that that I think are really interesting um, but again that's the nerd and may, it's not necessarily the sales no no that's, yeah. that's a, a perfectly reasonable answer. everyone feels differently about the gin liqueurs now right 
See it. Someone came up and go, oh, 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 I have never tried gin before. How would you get them into gin? What would be your first port of call for them? Um, wouldn't be with tonic, because um, a lot of people, I mean, you still get a lot of people saying, um, I don't want gin, I'd like vodka. And <laughs> what you have to, well, I, well kind of idiots see, if, if we do that, see, they don't buy a drink at all and they walk out. Danny doesn't make any money and I don't make any tips if we say, if we, if we start going to And assault. <laughs> <laughs> but what you do, but, but you sort of, you sort of try and win them over a little bit if you say things like, well, effect, this isn't completely right, but you say effectively gin is vodka with botanicals, different yeah. flavours added to it. Um, certainly nuanced and we tend to put them into cocktails for that sort of way and then it turns out they don't like gin because they didn't like tonic when yeah. they were a kid because it's a very bitter flavour obviously with quinine and that's what people can't get on board with so you make them a nice simple easy cocktail like a Tom Collins for example which is a recipe that's been around since at least 1862 um, which is literally just sugar fresh lemon juice gin and soda water which is tall, fresh, it's an absolute winner with anybody. Yeah. And the thing about it is it's really, really good for highlighting different flavours of different gins as well. You can yeah. have something really simple mm. with just three different really well-rounded botanicals that has loads of body and it just gives it this nice sort of burst of freshness. Yeah. Or you have something like your gin mares, which just makes it slightly more complex and slightly yeah. more Mediterranean. Or you have something like a pier um, and then it's sort of like a bazaar, it's all these spices and things going on. So that's, so you'd say, you'd give them something dead simple first and then you'd, take them through them if they wanted to try some more the other thing about it as well we do a really simple drink in berry and I say we keep saying we I don't work there anymore but um still we it's yeah, still part sort of it <laughs> but um there's I'll a really really forget you exactly <laughs> Uh, there's, a, there's a really simple drink in there just called a strawberry fizz, which is just that with fresh strawberries. So again, you're introducing the garnish element yeah, to yeah, it yeah. as well, just by adding simple components, you can just change You just tease them in with a Tom Collins. Yeah, isn't there? exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. Yeah, we have, I mean, <clears throat> so our, our kind of approach across the group to, to cocktails is we, we grade them on stage one, two, and yeah. three. And so when you're talking about kind of when you're trying to get somebody onto something, so we'll take a stage one drink. Stage one drink is that nine out of ten people will like no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. I put it in front of you and go, try that and you'll like it. And that way, we'll get you into the category. Then we can move you on to stage two. So, for, ex- for example, after you've enjoyed your Tom Collins, let's say, for example, made traditionally with Jensen's Old Tom um, or Heyman's, um, you turn around and say, right, did you enjoy the Tom Collins? What did you enjoy about it? Did you enjoy the sweetness? Yeah. Did you enjoy the kind of citrusiness? Would you want to make a little bit ginier? And then maybe you can bring them onto a Southside. Maybe you can bring them onto a French 75. Maybe you could go to a Corpse Reviver, something a little bit less ginny. Still got it in there, but you've got that sweetness. Um, and, and you just kind of you, you use these drinks as your guide. And then eventually almost you get them onto a gin and tonic that way. Yeah. Because you're dead right, my missus. You say she never liked gin, it's because she didn't like tonic. Yeah, yeah. Tonic's that, difficult that, to get I've on board. I've heard that so many times. Eh? It's, it's, yeah. The, yeah. it's the quinine. And again, you know, in the same way as, let's say, pre-99, you know, there was only a couple of players in the gin market and a lot of people were drinking the one that began with yeah. a G. They were drinking it with, like, one and a half litre bottled tonic. That was, like, flat. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as you poured two yeah, things yeah, of I, it, I, I, it was served with one cube of ice and an anorexic slice of lemon, you know, like, what is that going to do? So at least now, not only have we got better gins to drink, but we know how to drink it, fill your glass full of ice, give it a proper squeeze of something in there, Uh rock and roll. So before we start, you were telling us a story about uh, Alessandro Palazzi, is that correct? What was that? What was that that little anecdote? Signore Palazzi, yeah. So Alessandro is the head bartender at Dukes in London. He's been there for, I think, north of 20 years now. And we were lucky enough to have him up. We've got a, a private members club called Royal Institution. And he came and did a talk on the Vespa Martini. So um, the Vespa Martini, obviously the, the Martini made famous by Ian Fleming in his book Casino Royale. Yeah. And we, we did a specially kind of invite-only talk for our members where Alessandro made his Vespa, which is pretty, pretty mind-blowing, to be honest with you. It is frozen sacred gin poured straight into a Martini glass with a couple of drops of his own Duke's own vermouth, yeah. which is made using sacred vermouth. And a few other kind of things, and he literally takes his martini glass out the freezer. It's all about temperature with this drink. Martini glass out the freezer, a couple of drops of vermouth in there, and then literally just pours you this slug. I think that's the technical yeah. term for it: slug of gin into this glass, twist the lemon, and but you know this guy's like decked out in white, lovely white um, jacket. He's got he's forgotten more than we know. His stories are, are long and distinguished. 
Um, and he's Italian. So, I mean, just the whole thing was amazing. Smooth. It was smooth. <laughs> it was smooth. And he's a massive Liverpool fan as well, so the guy's, like, absolutely cool. Um, and he put them down in front of all our members, some of whom are, are gin fanatics and some of whom have probably never tried anything more than a gin and tonic. And obviously a Vespa Martini, we're talking about stage one, two and three drinks, it's very much a stage three drink, you yeah. know. We always say you need to know the name and, you know, ideally the kind of, you know, the background of somebody yeah. before you start giving them a stage three drink. And he's put this Vespa Martini down and everybody to a man got through this Vespa Martini because of respect out to this, yeah, this guy, you know. Mm. <laughs> Even the ones who were like, oh, oh. Mm. like I mean, it was half twelve as well. You know, it was twelve. It was an early. It was an early start, but it was awesome. Really, really cool thing. The type of thing that you know we were honoured to do. Um, oh, yeah. Members bars aren't really a big thing in the pool at the moment. There's a couple of really old-fashioned ones, but we're a bit of a modern members bar, and yeah. so it was a, it was a real big catch. And Sacred as well is also really, really awesome gin. Must uh, must get hold of some of that Sacred gin. Oh yeah, it's. Awesome, awesome gin made by Ian Hart, a micro distillery down in London. They make some really, really cool stuff. I must get one of some of that. That sounds absolutely beautiful. Please do. Just yeah. even, the, even the sound of it and freezing it. Oh. Oh, I mean, gin from the freezer. God damn, it's only 10 to 3. Oh, can't drink it. Just amazing. <laughs> That's the great thing about a martini as well. You know, we always say that martinis, there's no hiding place for the martini. It's like a steak. Yeah. You know, there's a million ways of doing a steak, but how many great ones have yeah, you yeah, had? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Take an amazing raw product. Don't mess around with it too much. Yeah. And then all you're doing is seasoning it with the vermouth. Uh, as long as you've got the good product in the first place, that's what yours, eh? Yeah. Well, thanks very much, lads. Appreciate that. Uh, do you. pop in to Fezziwig's Gin Yard in Liverpool City Centre and uh, enjoy some of their magnificent gins. Thanks very much, lads. Appreciate that. And Thank I'm you. pretty sure I'll be back again next time I'm here. Look forward to it. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Cheers. Okay, well that was that was a great interview, Matt. Lovely guys, the team of Fezziwigs there. Tip top lads, tip yeah. top lads indeed. What I found really interesting was the level one, two, and three drinks. Yes. <laughs> I wonder what level we are. I think I think we've probably seven. reached level three now. Level seven. <laughs> I'm beyond gin now. Are you beyond yeah. gin? I uh, I just I just go and it vaporizes and enters my soul. <laughs> like osmosis. Yes, I just. I, I just, I just hold the glass and it just like seeps into my bloodstream. <laughs> but no, that was really interesting. Um, I didn't get to go, so no, I do intend to go. I do believe the reason you didn't get to go was because you were hurriedly finishing another one of these podcasts in it, the hotel room. No, it was in Liverpool Public Library, actually. Yes, it was, yes. And a knife man came in, yes. was tackled to the ground by the police, oh, yes. and then we all got ejected from the library while they uh, yeah. they closed it off as a crime scene. I love Liverpool. It's a great place. But it is actually one of my favourite yes, places on the planet. It's a class place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it gets a little bit rough and ready. <laughs> yeah. But hey, so does everywhere. Exactly. We so, live in Newcastle for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that interview was um, done a few months ago when they'd only recently launched. Um, so they are very much up and running now in full swing. So mm-hmm. if you're in Liverpool, please go there. It's yeah. absolutely, it sounds absolutely yeah, amazing. It's, it's all nice and nice and little uh, like hidden, like a little speakeasy. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful place, beautiful. Yeah. So, and that also brings us to the end of the show. No more food, no more gin. Mm. We should go and make a nice gin-soaked uh, recipe now, I think. Yep. Cornflakes. Yes. And gin. Yeah. That'll do. All right. Well, hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for listening once again. Yep. See you in episode 18. Goodness me. Mother's Room podcast was written and performed by Matthew Reed and Sarah Dunley. Theme tune written and performed by Holly Jazz Kotsier.